Welcome to the Celebration Church Orlando podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Amen, amen, amen. Can we give it up for Pastor Megan for just communicating all the amazing things that we have going on um, at our church. I'm so excited about this, this season, whether it be our equipped classes, groups, all the different things that, that God is doing in and through us and the things that he invites us uh, to participate in. In. If, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to go ahead and, and, and join me in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 22. We're, we're going to spend some time there, but before I get there, I do want to take a moment to show some love uh, to our online and podcast audience. First, can we put our hands together for our online and podcast family? We're so glad that they're joining us and that they're connecting with us uh, uh, today. I do want to take a moment to to communicate to all of us um, that we would love to invite you to be with us next Sunday. Of course, that's our posture every single Sunday. We believe that we need to invest in things that invest in us. So just showing up is a big thing. But next Sunday is, is going to be it's going to be lit. It's going to be a really good one. And, and I want to tell you why. So 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 me and Vinny, we were talking about this um, the last service, and um, and and I, I want to share with you guys that we are we're now in that that Labor Day flow, right? So Labor Day is kind of like it, it, it communicates something from a, from a seasonal standpoint. It, it communicates that we're now going into the fall season. And, and so there's a couple of things that you can expect in the fall. The, the first one, and probably the most important one, is that we are now in pumpkin spice latte season. I got, I got any fans like I went out and I made my first pumpkin spice latte yesterday and I literally felt like the presence of the Lord was in it. Like I felt a Holy Spirit, like it just, it just stirred me. It's so, it's so amazing. So, so we talked about this, but, but Vinny, um, what's your, what's your love level for, for, for pumpkin spice lattes? Are you, are you pro pumpkin spice latte? I, he can't. I, well, it's not I like it. So let's, let's just, just tell the people. Let me just change quarter here for a second. I like it. Nicely done. I'm not going to say it's a requisite of being on staff, but it's a requisite of being on staff. Like, that's part of the interview question. How do you feel about pumpkin spice latte? Not so much. I don't feel like God's calling you to be a, a part of our church family. Um, there's another church down the street that's great for you, um, and, and you'll do well there. Um, but yeah, so we're in pumpkin spice latte season, but in addition to that, we're also kind of going into like one of my favorite times of the year, like that, that football season. It's like that, that turn of the page where we kind of get into the, the sports season as well. And, and, so, and so next Sunday is going to be Team Sunday. And what Team Sunday is, like, it doesn't matter what sport you have love for. It doesn't matter what your team is. We want everyone to show up strong wearing your team merch, wearing your college merch. Wherever you could be in high school, whatever that is, we want everyone to come in wearing their jersey. It's going to be an incredible, fun opportunity for you to invite some family and friends that, that may not typically come to church. We're going to have some activities and things that we're not going to share all of them just yet. you got to be here to, to enjoy it. But we would love for you to participate in Team Sunday. And, and I realize that not everyone um, is... Is a, is a team sports person. Like some people are like, man, that's not for me. I'm, I'm, I'm a little too refined for that. And, and I'm here to pastor you. Like this is what a part of my job is to do. So let's say that you do not have a team. Let's, let's say that, that the Lord hasn't stirred you. Let me pastor you on what your next step is. If you do not have a team, then your team is the Philadelphia Eagles. It's the Lord's team. 
It's the, it's the Lord's team. You guys have heard me say this over and over again. There's not any other team that exists in an NFL spectrum that is viewed favorably in Scripture. Giants, we see what happens to them. Ravens, we see what happens to them. But Eagles, God associates his power with Eagles. So I'm just trying to help pastor y'all to your next step. If you want to be on God's team, then you're going to come in here wearing your Eagles paraphernalia. If you want to be on the devil's team, then you'll wear whatever else is out there. Um, giants and Patriots and such. But we're going to have a great Sunday next week. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I think it's going to be something that we can all get something out of it. So let's get back into the word of God if we can. Um, we, we've been in this um, we've been in this series for the past couple of weeks called Whole Life. Somebody say Whole Life. Okay, so that, that whole life is really built on this idea um, from 3 John verse number two. It's not the only place you find it. In fact, it's all throughout the course of scripture. But that was our foundational passage where, where John is saying, my beloved, I want you to do well and prosper in your whole life just as your soul prospers. What he's ultimately saying is God is communicating to us. We are triune beings. We're made of a body, which is our flesh. We have a soul, which is our mind, our will, our emotions, our personality, and we have our spirit. That's the, that's the part that comes alive when we say yes to Jesus. Mind, body, soul, spirit. And, and what can happen a lot of times when we become people that engage the word of God, we can unfortunately believe that I'm only supposed to thrive spiritually. And so if everything else around me is terrible, it's okay as long as my soul is okay. But the truth of the matter is that's not God's view for our life. God's vision for every single one of us is he wants us to thrive and move forward in our natural. He wants our mind, our mental health, our actual health to do well as well. But he also wants us to thrive spiritually. The vision that God has for every single one of us is for us to move forward, to have a whole life. That is what the word peace means. When you see the word peace in scripture, that word shalom means nothing missing, nothing lacking, nothing stolen. Your entire life is doing well. So over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about these varying ways that God wants us to experience a whole life. So if you missed any of that, go back and check it out because we're going to conclude that series uh, today. In Matthew 22, we're entering into a moment where Jesus is facing a lot of opposition. Um, when you look at the ministry of Jesus, it's really broken up in, into three stages, three years. The first year um, was his inaugural year. It's when he kind of comes out and, and people are, are amazed at the way that he's teaching. They, they're a little bit mystified by it. That's his first year. His second year of ministry is what we call his years of popularity. That means that he virtually could do no wrong. He's, he's healing sick people. He's multiplying bread. And he's like doing these incredible things that people are like, this is awesome. But now he's in his third year of ministry, and that's called his years of opposition. This is where in the biblical narrative we see that he's facing more questions, more ridicule than he ever has before. So we're in the third year of his ministry. And when you read coming into this, people are challenging every single thing that Jesus does. And, and the context of it is because the people that are generating these questions, they have an agenda. We, we, have, we have the Pharisees who have a lot of questions. Maybe you're familiar with the Pharisees. You probably have heard that term, but what the Pharisees were, these were a group of people that, that felt like they shouldn't be intertwined with, with the government and all that type of stuff. They dealt with it because they had to, but ultimately they just felt like, man, we want to we wanna live the way that we want to live. But the caveat to that conviction was, and we're going to tell you how to live. And if you don't live exactly the way that we want you to live, you're canceled. Cancel culture is not something that's new. It's literally all throughout the course of the Bible. They were the first ones to create cancel culture. You did this wrong, you're canceled. You made a mistake, you're canceled. That was the Pharisees. 
But then you have the Sadducees. They're, they're on the other side of the aisle, so to speak. You know what they were? They were this political elite group that felt that their faith could be intertwined into politics. And they felt like, man, if we can just, if we can just infuse this all together, we can, we can create an atmosphere. But unfortunately, what that did is that led them to compromise, where things that were built in the kingdom, they would often push it away because it wanted to fit into their political agenda, which was remaining influential in the government context. Does any of this sound familiar? There's nothing new under the sun. So everyone is looking at the ministry and life of Jesus and trying to figure out where does he fit in with my beliefs? Instead of saying, where does my beliefs fit in with Jesus? What I believe, is, is that Jesus or, or, or is that something different? So, so what we're having is people who are asking these questions, trying to mine out a way to see if Jesus fits their pre-built in convictions, their emotions. So they're asking these questions. And so now we find ourselves in the 22nd chapter and Jesus is dealing with all these questions. We're dealing with all this narrative shift. And now we get to the crux of the whole matter. What the Bible says, starting at verse number 36, they came to him and they said, teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? And he said to them, to love your Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. And this is so important, verse 39. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with everything that you have, and the second is just like it. Love your neighbor just as you love yourself. Today I wanna to conclude our series on whole life, talking on the subject that I've entitled Overflow. Let's, let's pray. And, and let's see what it is that God wants to speak to us today. Heavenly Father, we count it as an honor that we're able to gather in your name today. Lord, we, we decrease and ask for you to increase. In other words, we want you to have your way. We, we have no agenda except the kingdom agenda. So Lord, we, we laid it all down at your feet and asked, Father, for you to speak to us. I ask that you give us open eyes that we can, that we can see you even in the obscure things, open ears to hear you even amongst the, the noise and the chaos, God, and open hearts to receive whatever it is you want to deposit into our souls today. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. We invite you to, to change us, to challenge us, to inspire us in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. You know, I... Um, I've, I've, I've lived long enough to, to recognize that we can have goals. And, and there's moments that when you achieve your goals, you realize that you're just getting started. I, I remember as a young man, when my first, I would say, goal that I established on my own, I was like 15 years old. And I was like, man, I want to have my own vehicle. So I remember working really hard in the summer, and I saved up $650 and bought me a Chevy Chevette. Anybody old enough to remember what Chevy Chevettes are? That was my first car, 1984 Chevy Chevette. That was my first car. And I remember how much I loved that vehicle. It was mine. I put all the work in and I thought that I've achieved my goal. But now that I've achieved this goal, I remember that after that first month when my parents came to me because they're trying to teach me responsibility, my mom handed me something that was called car insurance. She said, hey, like now that you've achieved your goal, you still got work to do. And I'm like, well, no, I paid for the car. I, I thought I was done. She's like, no, like when you achieve your goal, you still got to continue to work. That was my biggest life lesson that just because you achieve your goal, you still got to steward it. You still got some things to maintain. And just, so from that point forward, I began to say, okay, like what's, what's the hidden agenda? If I got this, then what is it going to require of me beyond that? Life takes you on varying turns, but I remember that moment. Everybody, that moment, that American dream of when we, when we bought our home. 
And I remember moving in, and I'm like, okay, this is our home. Like, this is amazing. Like, I'm, I'm loving every bit of it. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm excited about it. But then you have that moment where, where you realize, like, when something goes wrong, it's on you. When, when, I, when I wasn't a homeowner, man, something go wrong, man, call those people. Tell them to get out here immediately or I'm not giving them their rent. Like, but now, now, now it's on me. So one day, Megan and I are at home just chilling out, just, just watch the TV, and I start hearing this noise. And I'm like, what, what is that noise? I felt like I was in the middle of poltergeist because like, it was just a weird bubbling noise. I'm like, did they build this house on top of like a, a burial ground of some sort? So I'm, I'm a little bit nervous. So I'm beginning to do my investigation, walking around a house as I'm hearing these noises coming from these varying spots. What I've learned is that it's coming from every drain in our house has like this bubbling noise that's coming up. So I'm, I'm shook. I'm like, I, I, I don't know what this is. I don't know what's about to happen. Fortunately, the house was still under warranty, was new. So we call the people up and, and they, send, they send the plumber out. And it's literally the quintessential uninterested, unmotivated plumber who's probably on his last day of work. He just, he just didn't care. Like, you ever encounter somebody where it's an emergency for you because this isn't your regular thing, but they show up and they're so indifferent to it? Like, hey, bro, like, can you move with some urgency? Like, that was our experience. So he just shows up, super casual. He's like, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's no big deal. Um, you know, I'll, I'll get into it and, and, and I'll fix it. So now I feel this weight. I feel this responsibility. So as he does his little investigative work, he said, oh, man, it's a, it's a good thing you called me. He said, because like, um, your, your neighbor wasn't so lucky. I was like, well, who, like, what happened? He said, man, like, he, he didn't call, and the debris from the construction got into the pipelines. And, and when that happened, the water began to back up, and he didn't finish the sentence. I'm like, what, what happened? What, what happened? He said, well, then he started dealing with overflow. And I was like, well, okay. He said, do, do you know what overflow is? I said, I, I feel like I do by just, you know, just putting together the words, but, but do you want to tell me what it is? He said, okay. I'll walk you through it. He begins to walk me through with vivid detail the process of the debris from the home being caught up in the pipelines, and as water was running, it's slowly backing up. And if it doesn't get dealt with, it begins to overflow. And what he said is that it can flow over into your house and affect everything. It's going to flow over, and everywhere you step, it's everywhere. No matter where you go, the overflow is present because there's something that's inside of the system that is so filled beyond capacity that it's flowing out, and it literally changes everything but it's a good thing you called me. I'm like, yes, indeed it is. Hallelujah. But, but, when, he, but when he left, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get the phrase out of my mind, this concept of overflow, that, that when something is so filled that it has an ability to overflow to a place that it begins to affect everything, that, that no matter where you go, no matter where you step, there's this, there's this residue of what was on the inside flowing out on the outside. What if I were to tell you that God's vision for your life is not for you to live in deficit and lack, but for you to live a life of overflow, where there's so much goodness on the inside of you that everywhere you go, there's an overflow that affects everything. That when you're standing in line and you're having a conversation with a cashier, there's an overflow of joy that has an impact on that person. That when you go to your job and you're dealing with people that you don't even agree with, but somehow there's something on the inside of you that's flowing on the outside of you, that people are being beneficiaries of the overflow in your life. What if I were to tell you that God's vision for your life is to be so filled with his grace, with his peace, that everywhere you go, there's an overflow that literally impacts everything that's in your path. This is the life of what it means to be whole, to live a life of such profound overflow that it affects everything. Jesus's ministry was the byproduct of the overflow in his life. He didn't do anything on the outside that wasn't already dwelling on the inside. Jesus didn't work from deficit. So when he was about doing his ministry, 
it wasn't working from a negative place. It was because I spent enough time with my father that I'm filled to the point that the overflow is blessing. The overflow is encouragement. The overflow is people being healed. Jesus modeled for us, what does it look like to live a life of overflow? But you, but you know what had an issue with the overflow in Jesus's life? Religion. R- religion got involved and they wanted to complicate the overflow that was happening in Jesus's life. Here's what we got to remember. Jesus is God's way to man. Religion is man's way to God. And unfortunately, it can complicate things and it gets in the way. Religion began to complicate a move of God. What's fascinating to understand is that the Pharisees had something to say about the way that Jesus' overflow functioned. The the Sadducees had something to say about the way that Jesus flowed and functioned. The Essenes had something to say. The Zealots had something to say. These are all different political, spiritual sects that all had something to say about the way that Jesus functioned and operated. But you know the one people group that didn't say anything about what Jesus was doing? The actual people he was helping. Isn't it fascinating that we have a lot of people that have a lot to say, but the people who need him the most are the ones who complain the least. They just want to receive what God has in our lives. And sometimes we can add layers that simply complicate the goodness of God from flowing. It's almost as if we've forgotten that when Jesus came, he came for us as well. This is why the Bible says that salvation is by grace through faith. least any man should boast. There's not a single human being that walks on the face of the planet that Jesus didn't have to die for them as well. Sometimes we forget that, as if when we were born, we were born holding a lamb in the King James Version of the Bible, and we were set. But the truth of the matter is, we still needed the blood of Jesus, and guess what? Every day we still do. Maybe that can help us to have a different measure of overflow when we look at people who may not be as far along as we are. When we look at suffering all around us, that we can have a different perspective. Instead of us sitting on our mountain of, if you just do this, no, what if I just looked at you the way that Jesus does? Jesus lived a life of perpetual overflow. So when the Sadducees and the Pharisees come to Jesus and they're hitting him with all these questions, they come to him and say, what is the most important commandment? This was a little bit of a trick question because what you need to understand is we're familiar with the 10 commandments, but there were actually 613 of them. Once again, 613 different ways to live for God. It got so complicated. They all had different ideas. And the reason why they wanted to hear what Jesus was going to say, because depending which one of the 613 he responded with, it may have landed in one group versus the other. So they were trying to put him in a corner and say, Jesus, which of the 613 things are out there is the most important? Because if you say this, then I knew we were right. If you say that, then I knew that we were right. If you say this, then I knew that they were wrong. So they were trying to trap Jesus in making a statement that would allow them to feel better about themselves. But Jesus being full of infinite wisdom and knowing what was in our heart, he responded with a single word, love. He he took 613 things and reduced it down to one simple statement, love. Now, when we hear the word love, love is nuanced. It's it's a simple four-letter word, but it's, it's really so hard for us really to wrap our minds around it because when we think about it, love can have different expressions. We can go on vacation, man, I, I love the weather. We can, we can move into a new neighborhood, man, I, I love this new neighborhood. We can, we can get a new vehicle, man, I love this vehicle. We can look at someone's picture on Instagram, oh, I absolutely love that. And unfortunately, our usage of love becomes so watered down that it seems like it's just about our feelings in the moment. But it seems as if the vision that God had for love was something that was so much different. Not to mention when we talk about loving other people. 
Because all of us have our own built-in definition of love, and no matter how much you try to Google it or look it up in a dictionary, you're talking to a person who may have a different definition of what love may look like. I remember early in our relationship, Megan and I, as I'm trying to to learn her, I'm I'm loving her the way that I would want to be loved. That's a biblical principle, do unto others as you will have them do unto you. That that makes perfect sense, and, and that's certainly appropriate. But when I started recognizing there was a little bit of a disconnect, because Megan, she, she would respond differently. I'm taking her out to dinner, buying her little gifts, little acts of service, doing all these things. And, and, and for me, honestly, I'm thinking like, hey, like, I feel like the appreciation level should be a little bit higher. Like, I, I, feel, like, I feel like the gratitude should be a, a little bit more intense. But then someone had gifted me with a book that changed everything, the five love languages. Oh my goodness. It, it literally broke down these five different buckets by the way that people receive love, and they equated it to this. When you are speaking or trying to love someone in, that's, in a way that's not their natural love language, it's like speaking a different language to someone and being frustrated that they don't understand you. What can happen with the way that we understand love is we end up loving the way that we want to love instead of the way that they need to be loved. So Jesus begins to create this idea that I need you to love the way that I need to be loved. In my relationship with Megan, I learned that her love language was quality time. It didn't matter how much money your boy spent on her. She, she just wanted to hang out. And I don't blame her. She could not get enough of me. And see, <laughs> she's not in here right now, so I'll deal with this later. But she, she, like, and she, just, she just loved that. And, and I didn't understand it initially, but when I realized, like, not only can I save me a whole lot of money, But if I could just sit in a room and talk with her and be with her, to her, that filled up her love tank. So now we literally have the book. We actually have an app now, and it actually tells you how's your love tank. So I'll randomly sometimes send her a little note. She'll get a text message and say, hey, my love tank is empty, girl. Like, you got to step your game up. But it's a fun way. But but the, the, the reason why I say that is because that means that we're in tune to making sure that we're loving each other the way that we want to receive love. Jesus uses this statement of love to simplify something so complicated, but he uses it in three different ways. The first way that he says it is love God. Now, now here's the challenge. I want you to take everything I just said and apply it to this. Have we ever considered for a moment that God has a love language that he wants us to respond to him in? Unfortunately, we can end up loving God the way that we think he wants to be loved. Lord, I came to church today. You're welcome. Lord, um, I, I, I actually raised one of my hands halfway during worship. You're welcome. Lord, they were talking about offering again, and I gave you a tip. You're welcome. We, we can mistakenly love God in a way that we think that he should be thankful for it. But in the same way that I have to love my wife the way that she wants to be loved, have we ever considered how does God want us to love him? Look at y'all leaning like, yeah, what what does that look like? Let me tell you what God's love language is. God's love language is obedience. His love language is obedience. And, and, And it's not from a place of control. 
It's, it's not from a place of trying to, to tell us what to do. But God has such a deep love for us and that he's looking at us and he understands that the journey that you're on, if, if you don't change some things in your behavior, it's, it's going to hurt you. I, I, I love you so much and I hate to see what sin is doing to you. So if you can just respond to what I'm telling you, that's all I'm asking you for. If you can just obey. Jesus quotes a phrase called the Shema. This is pulled from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it's a powerful passage to read in its entirety. But what he reads is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love him with all your heart, your mind, and all your soul and your strength. Let me give you the context of why Jesus was reading that off to them. Because the context for the children of Israel is that they had been in the wilderness for 40 years. The reason why they were in the wilderness for 40 years is because they were rebellious and they didn't listen to God's word. In other words, they weren't loving God by responding appropriately. So now that Moses has been wandering with them for 40 years and they're finally at the threshold of going into the promised land, a place that God has for them, they say, listen, you're about to go and get everything we've been working for for the past 40 years. We're finally at the, we're finally at the finish line. When you get there, don't lose the discipline you developed over the past 40 years. Continue to love God with your obedience. Because your lack of obedience is it's gonna, it's gonna hurt you. Going into this place, it's, it's a bunch of godless people and there's a lot of craziness out there and, and I wanna make sure that you're protected. So just continue to live your life where people can see God in your life. The best way that we can love God is by making sure he's reflected in everything that we do. That's how we love God. When people can look at you and see that you've been with Jesus. What it says about the disciples when they were in the early stages of the early church, the Bible says that people could look at them and say, I can tell that they've been with Jesus. Uh, Imagine that for a moment, that as the disciples were going out doing their life, that people could look at them and see, I could tell that they've been with Jesus. That's challenging to me because I often wonder, man, when people look at me, can they tell that I've been with Jesus? When, when I'm dealing with customer service and, and I don't know why I got this, I don't know why I got this charge on my card, can they tell that I've been with Jesus? When, when I'm standing in line and, and, and they're not moving any quicker, can they, can they tell that I've been with Jesus? When, when things don't work out my way, can, can they tell that I've been with Jesus? What the challenge is for every one of us is to make sure that my love and demonstration of God is not circumstantial when it's convenient for me. It's, it's making sure that even in those moments when it, doesn't, when it doesn't look the way that I want it to look, that I still can make sure that people can see Jesus in my life. The love of God means simply making sure that God can be seen in every single thing that we do. See, in in Hebrew, that word Shema, which is the statement that I just read to you, it literally means to listen, to hear, and to obey. Not one of those words, all of those words. In the Hebrew thought process, those are not separate concepts, it's one thing. To hear is to listen, and to listen is to obey. That means if you truly are to love God, it's not a cognitive thing, it's something that has action associated with it. The the best way for me to put it is, imagine if I tell my wife that I love her, but I'm not faithful to her. Is that really love? What God wants is to make sure that if you love me, can you be loyal? That that if you love me, can can you spend time with me? If you love me, can you actually love me in the way that I want to be loved, which is simply you reflecting me so that way we can add more people to the family because there's so many folks that are away from me. And if you only knew the way that you interact with work is a testimony. An evangelist is not a person who simply stands on the stage and declares Jesus. A true evangelist is a person that looks like Jesus even in the midst of hell. That's the assignment that God has given every single one of us is to live a life 
that influences others to say yes to Jesus. God is challenging us. He's inspiring us. And he's saying the highest way that you can love me is by reflecting me even in environments that seem to be dark. Jesus is perfect theology. What that means is while we sit around and we argue about different things, if you want to know what God's view is on any given subject, what did Jesus say about it? What did Jesus do in it? How did Jesus deal with the poor? How did, how did Jesus speak about the rich? How did Jesus do these things? When we can look at Jesus, the Bible says that he's the expression of the invisible God. Jesus is perfect theology. So when we're looking for ways to model our lives, let's just look at Jesus. And if we can begin to have the posture of Christ, that is how we're able to love God. That people can look at us and tell that we've been with Jesus. The, the next thing that, that he says is, not only do I want you to love God, but I also want you to love yourself. Now, you, you may not have picked that up, but when you look at it in its entirety, and this is being pulled from Leviticus chapter 19, he says, love God with all your heart, all your mind, and all of your strength, and love others just as you love yourself. We often say, love God, love people. Love God, love others. We simplify it that way, and that's powerful. We need to. But it assumes that we love others just as we love ourselves, meaning this, if I don't know how to love myself, I am not going to be able to love anybody else. That, that if I don't have an adequate view of myself, I'm not going to have a healthy view of anyone else. What Jesus is instructing us to do is to make sure that we have a healthy love of self. Unfortunately, this is something that can get lost in our society because we have responsibilities and we have seasons that, that require so much of us. Whether it's, a, whether it's a job that has so much of us, whether it's, a, whether it's being a, a parent and my kids, they require so much of me. Maybe, maybe it's my friend group, but, but there are so many things that require so much of me that if, that if I'm not careful, I can lose myself in the process. And instead of living from a place of overflow, I do it out of obligation. I've lost myself somehow. And now that I'm in this place where I've lost myself, I'm people pleasing, I'm exhausted, I'm irritable, and now I'm heading dead on to burn out. And all of this is in the name of being selfless. But interestingly enough, that doesn't sound anything like Jesus. Jesus was the most selfless person to ever walk the planet. However, he still functioned with boundaries. He, he actually embraced his earthly limitations. Jesus, he took Sabbath. Hey, man, I know that there's more things to do, but I'm going to rest today. Jesus, he hung out with his friends. He, he had family. He had community. That Jesus, the Bible says that through him, everything was created, but even he made the choice to function with boundaries. The gospel of Mark chapter 1, verse 35, captures this well. Because he's in the height of his ministry. He's doing some incredible things. And it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to that deserted place, that, that place of isolation, and there he was praying. Here's where it gets good. Simon, which is Peter, and his companions searched for him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you, Jesus. Jesus, like the town, they're looking for you. Everyone's waiting for you. They're, they need you to show up. Like You could set up ministry here, and your thing would be thriving. And Jesus' response was, let's go to the other neighborhoods, because I came to preach to those villages as well. Jesus was able to heal every single person in that land, but he said, you know what? That's enough for now. I got other people to reach as well. Jesus wasn't concerned about people pleasing. He was concerned with pleasing the Father. He functioned with boundaries and limitations. 
He, he functioned in such a way that he understood his assignment and his calling. He functioned in such a way that even when the crowds pressed against him, he knew how to go into a deserted place to allow the presence of God to fill him. We can sometimes be our worst enemies. We, we can be so hard on ourselves that we, we pressure ourselves because we're not living up to other people's standards and we can lose ourselves in the process. But Paul beautifully says this regarding love. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Think about that for a moment. Those are the words that Paul uses to describe love. But my question to you is this. Are you patient with yourself? What about kind? Are you, are you kind to yourself? Do you, do you keep a record of wrong for yourself? We sometimes end up being so hard on ourselves that we forget to love ourselves, to be patient with ourselves, to be kind to ourselves, to, to not beat ourselves up over every mistake that we've ever made. The will of God for our lives is not only for us to extend love to God, but learning how to love ourselves by just simply understanding that I have value, that I have purpose. And some of us have had some traumatic experiences where words were spoken over us, that lies were spoken over us, and we can allow that to form our identity. But if I can encourage you with one thing, you are made in the image of God, that the Bible says that you are beautifully and wonderfully made, that God created you for purpose and value. And I'm sorry if the enemy has allowed people to come into your life that have told lies to you, that told you that you weren't sufficient, that you were insignificant. But I'm here to correct that right now and tell you that God loves you so you can start loving yourself, that you can value yourself. You can put boundaries around things that are unhealthy for you because you have to love yourself. If I don't love myself, I'm not going to have a healthy way to love others. This is the will of God for every one of us. <clears throat> to make sure that we love ourselves. And ways that we can love ourselves are, are, are really simple. We need to learn ourselves. Learn. Just take some time to learn. One of my favorite things that Megan and I do when we do premarital counseling is we love to take people on this journey of self-discovery where they learn, man, like I'm, I'm an introvert and I'm, I'm married to an extrovert. Let me learn what that looks like. Man, like this is my strength. This is my weakness. These are the things that are fillers for me. These are things that are drainers for me. Just learning some things about yourself so that way you can embrace the way that you are and, and make decisions that can help you to thrive in a healthy way. But sometimes we don't even take the time to learn our likes and our dislikes. We're so busy giving to everyone else that we've lost sight of what's important to us as well. But I want to caution us as well. Because what I've seen on the other end of this spectrum is that on one hand, we can lose ourselves altogether. And on the other hand, we can be consumed with ourselves. There's a fine line between being self-aware and being self-absorbed. And what I've seen, unfortunately, is that when people begin to draw boundaries around their lives, it comes at the expense of them losing sight of the fact that they're still part of community. So everything is on their terms. Everything is all about me. That, that if it's not good for me, it's not good, for, it's not good at all. But we got to remember that this fine line that God wants us to walk is I need to love myself but also understand that it's not all about me. That is what it means to be selfless. That I need to function with boundaries, but understand that sometimes I might be a little bit uncomfortable. Listen to me. Just because you're aware of the things that make you uncomfortable doesn't mean that you'll never be uncomfortable. Just, just being aware of these things doesn't change the fact that you may still have to step into some spaces. And, and what I'm seeing is, is, a, is an increase of, of marriages falling apart. I'm seeing an increase of people walking away from their commitments. Why? Because they're saying, I choose me. They're, they're, they're saying, well, I'm, I'm aware of some things and, and, and you just don't make me happy anymore. And they're forsaking their covenant commitment because they become so self-absorbed. 
If, if, if God is leading you on this journey, it's not going to cause you to bring brokenness and fractures to other people. It's important for us to understand that if God is in it, then there will be peace that goes through it. If God is in it, then there will be strength that comes through it. If God is in it, there will be blessing that flows through it. But if it brings chaos, remember, God is not the author of confusion. So let's make sure that we walk that tight rope of being self-aware, but not self-absorbed. Understanding that everything doesn't revolve around me, so I still need to live sacrificially. I still need to learn how to serve while still functioning with boundaries. And the way that we do that is by being in fellowship with God and allowing him to order our steps. Some things we'll say yes to, some things we'll say no to, but as long as I'm living from a place of overflow, I truly can experience peace. Don't condemn yourself for being wrong, but please don't think you're always right. Don't beat yourself up. We all make mistakes, but for heaven's sake, don't think that you're always right. That was when we get to a place of a narcissism and it's very unhealthy to get to a place where you can't be corrected. If every time someone confronts you about something and it's always somebody else, allow the Holy Spirit to challenge you. I approach every situation saying, I may be wrong. Man, I, I, I could be missing it right here. And Lord, if that's you, please redirect me. I want all of us to have a healthy view of how to love ourselves, but don't be so consumed with ourselves that we don't recognize opportunities for us to get better. That is what love truly looks like. But then Jesus responds with this third one. And his third one is, I want you to love me I want you to love yourself, and then from that, you will adequately be able to love others. I want us to hear this, that loving others is a, is a, is a standard inside of the kingdom. It's literally non-negotiable. 1 John 4.20 says this, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. Like, think of the strong language that's being used here. If you say that you love God, and you actually don't love people, you really don't love God. This is, this is confounding to me. He says, for how can a person love people that they can see but not love the God that they can not see? He has given us this, this command so that we can understand that as believers, we're called to reflect the love of God to others. And when I say others, I mean those others, the ones who don't look like you, the, the ones who don't vote like you, the, the ones who don't have the same convictions of you, God's saying, if you love me, you'll also love them. Now, let's not get it twisted. Love and like are two different things. As a kingdom citizen, I'm compelled to love everybody. I surely don't like everybody, though. Can I, I mean, those are two different things. It's okay. Everybody's not going to be in my friend group. I'm not going to be around everyone, but, but by the word of God, I love everybody because they're made in the image of God. But I may not have to like them all. Unfortunately, we can live our lives in such a way that we think that people have to earn our love. But we've lost sight of the fact that we didn't have to earn God's love. So when you're living from a place of overflow, I know that God loves me and I didn't deserve it. So I can love you even if by my definition you don't deserve it. That's the, that's the overflow that God wants us to live in. I realize there may be people around us that we may feel they don't deserve it, but neither did we. Let's not us lose sight of the fact that Christ died for us and our shortcomings as well. And the same grace that pursued us is the same grace that is pursuing them. So let us be loving and patient and kind to them as well. When I read 1 Corinthians 13, it challenges me because it says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or, or boastful or proud or rude. 
It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It doesn't keep any record of wrong. It does not rejoice in injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Read that passage when looking at people that you don't like. Can you honestly say, this is my posture whenever I'm confronting people that I don't get along with, that we don't have the same beliefs, because Jesus says, if you're not doing that with them, then you actually don't love me. It brings us back to that place of overflow, learning to allow the love of God to influence us in such a way that literally impacts everything around us. The biggest paradigm shift that we need to make is thinking that love is exclusively a feeling. It's some of that, for sure. That could even be the thing that ignites it. But the truth of the matter is, love is a choice. It is 1,000% a choice. I, I remember that moment when I was like, man, like, I, I'm falling in love with my wife. Like, we, we've been together for 27 years, okay? 27 years. Like, and, and so we met each other when we were freshmen in high school. Like, we had the longest flirting thing ever. So, like, she was, she was into me way before I was into her, but that's a whole other different conversation. Um, and, and, and we get that. So, so, so watch this. So she was, she's not in here, so I can say whatever I want. Um, so, so, so I remember, like, we're talking to other, we, we're, we're joking, we graduate high school, and then we finally, we finally get connected. And, and, and I remember there was moments when I'm like, I, like, I, I love her. And, and I, I remember when I was about to say it to her, and, and, and I had to set the atmosphere right. We, we went out to get something to eat at Denny's, and, um, and, and so we're together, and, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to tell her. Here's a moment. And I said, hey, girl, I think I love you. I had to say, I think, because I didn't want to say it, and then she don't reciprocate it, because I'm like, hey, I thought it, but never mind, I changed my mind. Like, because when you think something, you can be wrong. Remember, you can be wrong. So I said, I think I love you, and then she responded, I love you too. I'm like, yeah, girl, I love you. That's what I... But, but from that moment, like, it was so, it was so amazing, just the, the butterflies, all of that stuff, and, and, and it was beautiful. But, but can I tell you, there were seasons where those feelings weren't the same. And when those feelings began to shift, I, I knew that there was still a conviction and a commitment there, but those feelings weren't always the same. And so I recognized that love is not being living in a suspended state where my feelings dictate everything, but love is a choice. I have to make the choice to love her. Every day that I wake up, it's a choice to love her. It's a, it's, it's a choice to honor her. It's a, it's a choice to serve her. It's a, it's a choice. And unfortunately, when we think about love, we can think that love is this overwhelming feeling that takes over us that we have no free will in it. And unfortunately, we could do the same thing as it relates to God. Man, we, we come to church and we, and we get all fired up, and when those feelings begin to go away, then we feel as if the grace of God has shifted from us. But what if I were to tell you that God is saying, I need you to choose me every day. I, I need you to choose me when you don't feel like it. I, I need you to choose to, to get up and, and read this word. I, I, need you to, I need you to choose to, to come to worship. I, I need you to choose to, to be generous. You're not going to always feel like it, but, but if you want to know what loving God looks like, it's not allowing my feelings to dictate my faith, but it's allowing my convictions and recognizing the goodness of God to say, God, I choose you. It's not comfortable, but I choose you. I don't feel like lifting my hands up because I got hell waiting for me on the outside, but I still choose to put you first. I still choose to exalt your name. I still choose you. God is telling us that love is a choice. We choose it every single day. I have to choose to love God. I have to choose to love myself, and I have to choose to love others. This is God's will for our life. But what occurs to me, this concept of overflow means this. 
you can't overflow of something that you have not received. And unfortunately for some of us, if we haven't received the love of God, we're certainly not going to do a good job at overflowing with the love of God. There's many areas of our lives that I feel like we're in a deficit because we haven't received God's love in that area. We haven't received God's love to to forgive us. We haven't received God's love to redeem us. We haven't received God's love to, to move us forward. And so unfortunately, we're trying to do these other things in our own strength. And when the feelings are gone, the conviction is gone, the commitment is gone, and then our feelings begin to shift. But I believe that we have to receive in order to reciprocate. We have to receive what God is pouring out. This is what the sacrifice on the, Christ was, on the cross was. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. God demonstrated his love to us. We just got to receive it. And when I receive that love, I get filled with that love. And now I can not only love God, but now I can love myself. And then I can love others. That is the order that things are supposed to function in. Receive God's love. Then love God. And now I can love myself in a healthy way. And then I have the capacity to love others the way that God had intended it. I can live a life of generosity when I receive that God has given me everything that I need as it relates to life and godliness. I've learned this statement to be true in my own life. That when you recognize that God has given you everything you need, then you can give whatever is needed. Because I've received what God has for me. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to I pose this question to us as we prepare to wrap up and, and, and go into brief worship and, and, and go on with the rest of our day. But... Maybe there's some among us that we just know, I, I haven't received the love of God. I'm, I'm not in relationship with Jesus. I'm not in fellowship with him. And, and in other words, I haven't received the finished work of the cross in my life, and, and I'm just not whole. For, for others of us, maybe, maybe we have an unhealthy view of ourselves. Maybe, maybe we are still dealing with condemnation. Maybe we're, we're dealing with some, some baggage and some trauma and some pain of the past. And, and it's, it's affecting the way that we see ourselves. And, and, and what if God is saying, I, I love you and I want you to learn to love yourself as well. I've, I, I died on the cross for you. I, I poured my spirit into you. I, I've ordered your steps. I have so many things for you, but I need you to learn how to love yourself. And maybe for others, it's Man, I need to learn how to to love those people that I don't like. I I need to know how to pour out love in my workplace. I need to learn how to to love people that that are different from me. I need to learn how to love people who think differently than me. Lord, I need you to fill me with your love so I can live a life of overflow of love so that it affects everything that's around me. I believe every one of us has a next step. We're we're going to go into a a moment of, of worship. And as you're sitting there reflecting... As you're meditating on what God is stirring your heart, what your next step is going to be. You know how we love God? By being obedient to what he's leading us to do. Let's stand on our feet as Vinny and the team leads us into worship. I'm going to pray over us. They're going to lead us in worship and I'm going to come up and give us some instructions at the end. But let this be a moment where we can recognize the reckless love of God that pursues us. Because if I can receive that, the overflow of that will allow me to be a blessing not only to God, but to myself as well as to others. Lord, we thank you for your love. And God, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that we can allow ourselves to be filled with your love so that we can have a healthy view of who you are, a healthy view of who we are, and a healthy view of others. So Father, I pray over the next few moments that you stir our hearts, that you challenge us, that you inspire us to reciprocate the love that has been extended to us so that we can live a life of overflow. In Jesus' name, let's worship, church.
Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you heard today. If you'd like more content like this, or you'd like to connect with us, go to celebrationorl.org. We hope you join us next time.